Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Well, thank you, worship team. I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled, So, and uh, What You Sow Will Grow. Now, that whole sermon series is based on these verses, Galatians 6, 6, and 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man sows... That will he also reap. For he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. So here's what we know. That when we find ourselves in whatever situation we're in in life, whatever situation we're in in life, is typically a situation of our own making. So it's not that we just suddenly appeared there in either good times or bad times. In all probability, what we have done is sown our way to the life we currently have, to the situation we currently are. So really that, that one sermon, if you didn't hear it, go back on the Peavine City app and listen to the sermon. You can watch the video or you can listen to the podcast. Uh, either one, go back and listen to that. And that's the foundation of everything we're doing. So all I'm doing from that sermon forward is talking about how we apply that principle of sowing and reaping into our lives in different areas of our lives. We're just trying to really expound on that same sermon. And so last week I applied it to marriage and I preached on make your marriage great again. And thank you for all the kind words about that sermon, but man, just heard how God used that in so many lives. And if you didn't, if you haven't heard it again, go back and listen to it. But today I want to apply it to our spiritual life. I want to talk about sowing and reaping into our spiritual lives. And I want to preach this sermon, just a closer walk with thee. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll read there in a moment. Just find the place. Just a closer walk with thee. If I ask you this morning, do you believe in God? I'd probably get 99% approval rating out of this audience. I'd probably get 99.9 or maybe even 100% out of an audience this size. Why? Because we're here, we probably believe in God. But when you ask at large, when you ask Americans at large, do you believe in God? Here's the results we typically get. 80% will say, yes, they believe in God. And 19% will say, no, they don't believe in God. Well, we can drill down a little bit more on that even. When you ask the 80%, do they believe in God? 56% say they believe in God as described in the Bible. And then uh, another 23% believe in some of the higher power or spiritual force. How many of you are Star Wars fans? Let me see your hands. Star Wars fans, you see the trailer this week, right? The force, that's one of the fastest growing religions in the world is people who believe in the force. That is a movie, people. That is not legit. And so, but when people say they believe in a higher power, spiritual force, half of them are talking about Star Wars when they say it. And so 56% believe in God in the Bible, 23% believe in some kind of higher power. Now, now get this, God of the Bible does not mean Bible-believing Baptist when you say God of the Bible. It does not mean evangelical Christian in all probability. It just means if you believe in God, the only one you know about is the one in the Bible. So don't think that 56% of America is saved. That is nowhere even close. We're much more lost than that. 19% say they don't believe, although 9% of the 19% or or, almost 10% of the total group believe in some kind of higher power or spiritual force. Again, Star Wars and 10% don't believe anything at all. Now, here's what we learn. The majority of Americans believe in a God. And I would define it capital G-O-D, God. 
If you are here this morning and you believe in God, then he has to take a central place in your life. As a matter of fact, if you believe in God, he should take the prominent place and be the prominent relationship in your life. But when Barna asked the question, what's the most significant relationship in your life? Here's some things we learned. We learned, number one, that 70% said their family or family members were their most significant connections. I, I get that, and, and uh, I understand that. 33% said their entire nuclear family. It's time, so they just didn't want to single anybody out, and they said every, my whole family. 22% named their spouse. Come on, say all right there or something, right? You know, like, imagine your spouse was one of the 22%, right? 7% said their children, sorry kids. And you could be mad at us, but 3% said their parents. Hey, if I'm paying the bills, cell phone, insurance, car payment, and putting you through school, I want you to lie and say I am the most important relationship in your life, all right? Just humor me. 2% said a friend, and 19% said God, Jesus, Allah, or the Trinity. It took lumping God, Jesus, Allah, and the Trinity to get us to 19%. So here's what we have. We have this huge group of people who believe in God or higher power, but only a small portion of those consider him an important relationship or the most significant relationship in their lives. Now, listen to me carefully this morning. This is so important. If you believe in God with the big G, like the God G, capital G-O-D, if you believe in God with the G, big G, you cannot ignore that relationship. If you believe there is a capital G-O-D, you cannot marginalize that relationship and push it over to the corner of your life and list everybody else in front of it. No, if you believe God, let me, let me just tell you what you're saying. If you believe in God, that is the God who is omniscient, who knows everything. That is the God who is omnipotent, who can do any, anything. That is the God that can be anywhere, all the time, at the same time. If you believe in that God, he has to be the most significant relationship in your life. I mean, here's what we have. The byproduct is we have a church full of people who believe in God. And they come to church and they serve in the church. And they may even sing in the choir, work in the Sunday school or whatever they do. But you don't feel close to him. You believe in him. But you don't feel close to him. And here's what we're doing. We're sitting around waiting on some, some mystical, supernatural experience to go poof. And, and all of a sudden, we're close to God. We're waiting on, remember my magic wand from a few weeks ago? We're waiting on my magic wand. And the preacher's like Harry Potter. He's going to wave a magic wand over us. And all of a sudden, we're going to feel close to God. And that's never going to work. The reality is, you're never going to feel close to God until you were sowing <laughs> a God relationship in your life. And then you'll begin to reap a close walk with Jesus. Well, how can we have just a closer walk with Jesus? How many of you remember that old song, just a closer walk with thee? Yeah. How can we have that walk? I want to look and see what an apostle named Peter 
said about that. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by standing and reading it? Second Peter chapter one, and, and we'll read the first 11 verses out of that chapter. Here, here's what he said. He said, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have attained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Verse five. But also... For this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. Here's what happens in those first 11 verses. Peter lays out beautifully how we can sow a relationship, sow into our spiritual lives, and reap a closer walk with Jesus. That's what we all want. How does it happen? Peter said four things. Number one is this. You need to know this, that you have been everything you need to be close to God, that you have everything you need to be close to God. Look what he said in verse three, as his divine power has given to us, say it with me, all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, here's what we think sometimes. We think that there are certain people in the Christian life who have something we don't have. We think the preacher got something in Bible college or seminary that we don't have. We think a Sunday school teacher got an anointing somewhere along the line. We think grandma and granddaddy had a religion and a walk with God that somehow we don't have. And you just insert, you know, person you work with who's close to God. And here's what we think. We think they have something that we do not have. We think that they've got a special connection that's not available to us. But Peter comes along and here's what Peter said. That is not so. Peter says this, number one, he uses the word given there. He said, you, here's what has been given to you. Here's, what, here's why I'm highlighting that word. He's been saying it has been given to you freely, that it has, it has been gifted to you by God, that every single believer who's here this morning, who knows Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life, it has been gifted you the ability to walk with God. He goes on, what did he give us? He gifted us all things. You know what all things means in the Greek? It means all things. I know some of you wrote that down, didn't you? Like you wrote, you wrote it down. It's, the word sometimes is translated whole. Imagine this. this. This is not a great example, but imagine this. Imagine getting a jigsaw puzzle and you put together a thousand pieces. And when you put it together, you figured out there were like 10 pieces in the middle missing. That's not whole. The word in the Greek defines something that is whole. It'd be if you put the whole puzzle together. Christian life's not a puzzle, but I'm just telling you that's the picture he's painting. You have all the parts needed. What do I have all the parts that are needed for? Here's what he said. You have all the parts needed for life and godliness. That is for living and holiness, for walking with God and being close to God. And here's what Peter's trying to tell us, that everything you need to walk with the Lord, get this, has already been given to you if you're a Christian. That means if you're a teenager, 
Everything you need to walk close to God has been given to you as a teenager if you know Jesus. That means if you're a husband, everything you need to walk close to God's been given to you. If you're a wife, everything you need to walk close to God has been given to you. If you're single, everything you need to walk close to God has been given to you. If you're an employee, if you're an employer, fill in the blank. Everything you need has been given to you to walk with God and to be close to him. Why? Because the moment you were saved, the, the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit of God was placed in your heart and life, and you now have a dynamite of ability to live the Christian life. Do you know what that means? No one has anything you don't have to live the Christian life and be close to God. No one. Billy Graham didn't have it. Insert Christian you love the best or no, didn't have anything you don't have to live close to God. That everything you need to be close to God is at your disposal. That you already have it in your life. And you can live a dynamic Christian life just as much as anybody you know can. That you can walk as close to God just as anybody that you know can. As a matter of fact, you have the tools necessary. The question is, are you using them? How many of you have ever seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? You ever seen the movie? Let me see your hand. Oh, uh, most of us. So let me set it up real quickly. If you've never seen the movie, he's a FedEx employee and he's flying somewhere and his plane goes down over the ocean. Everybody dies but Tom Hanks and he winds up on a deserted island for five years all by himself. And so he winds up on this deserted island and uh, all these FedEx boxes, boxes over the five years wash up on shore before he's uh, rescued. And he opens all of them but one. And the movie ends with him back in America and he delivers this one box to this lady that he had saved all those years while he was on the island. Well, a couple years ago, or a few years ago, quite a few years ago, FedEx ran a Super Bowl commercial that let us know what was in the box. Watch this. Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package. And I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. That's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, but by the way, what's in the package? Uh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. <laughs> Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. Oh, I love it. Satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, seeds, water purifier. In short, everything he needed to get rescued was in the box that he never utilized. Can I tell you that that's much like our Christian life. Everything you need to walk with God is in your grabs. You're not going to get to go to heaven and say, well, Lord, I'd have been Billy Graham if you'd given me what Billy Graham had. God's going to say, no, you had everything he had. Lord, I'd have been my Sunday school teacher. I'd have been my grandma. I'd have been my grandpa. But Lord, I didn't have. Yes, you did. It's in your box, man. You got the box when you got saved. And everything you need to walk close to God, Peter said. You have it. Second thing he tells us is this. You're going to have to roll up your sleeves and get to work. Here's what he said in verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. The word diligence there in the Greek means zeal, enthusiasm, earnestness, work, work, effort. 
Peter said this, that just because you have everything you need doesn't mean the process is automatic. Being close to God is not something you wake up in the middle of the night and go, guess what? I went to bed far from God and I woke up this morning and somewhere in the middle of my dream, osmosis seeped in from my Bible. It just, it just bled into me overnight and I'm close to God this morning. No, no. Just like any relationship in life, it takes work. And the reason most people do not feel close to God is you haven't put any energy and effort into making it happen. The reason most people don't feel close to God is you've not put any energy or effort into making it happen. See, God's already done his part. He's already put enormous energy into your relationship. How do we know? We just sang about it. He died on the cross for you. He did his part. So the truth is we... We want to feel close to God. We want to feel God's presence in our lives. We want to hear, we want to know that God hears our prayers and, and answers our prayers. We want to know that we can get guidance from God. We want to know that when storms of life hit, we can seek help from God. But here's always the question, how much energy are you willing to put into making that happen? God's already, he did his part. And Peter said, you, because you have everything, doesn't mean it's automatic. You have to give all diligence. I read this story. This story is probably 10 years old, but I read this story and it thought it fit this sermon so well because this Japanese man just recently got married. Well, not recently, 10 years ago, he got married and this is his wife. And you say, well, that's a cartoon drawing. Nope, nope. He married the cartoon gal. He was playing a game on his Nintendo DS called Love Plus. And in the game, you're given three, um, in his case, three female characters to build a relationship with and hope that one of them became your girlfriend. It'd be pretty pitiful if you couldn't get a, you're really bad off if you can't get the Nintendo girl to be your girlfriend, but you got to work at it a little bit. And so in the game, you buy them flowers, take them out to eat, make future plans with them and all that. And so he fell in love with his girl. Her name is, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Nene Anagasaki. And if you're Japanese here today, I apologize for that. If you're American, you couldn't do any better than I did just then. So don't worry about it. Um, uh, and so in 2009, this guy, he goes by the handle of Sal9000. Married this Nintendo DS girl in a real ceremony at a Tokyo conference where thousands of people witnessed it and it was presided over by a real priest. You say, well, do you do animation weddings? I do, but they're six-figure weddings, so just know it costs big bucks for me to also do cat funerals, but they're very expensive too, so you just got to be careful. <laughs> And they usually turn into more of a celebration. Anyway, so, uh, um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I got, every now and then the Lord just speaks through me. Now I have to be careful. And so uh, I got to stop. I got to stop. He, he married his animation girlfriend. You know why? Because here's the truth. An animated wife is easier than a real wife. A virtual wife is easier than a real wife. 
And here's why I'm telling you that story, because too many people have a virtual Jesus. Here's what you want out of Jesus. You want a casual relationship with Jesus. You want a God that requires no commitment and no effort. You want a God that does not demand holiness and righteous living out of you. Here's the best phrase ever. You want a God that is minimal work and maximum reward. Minimal work and maximum reward. That look, you want a God that you can put back in your Nintendo box. You want a genie that you can stuff back into the bottle. You want a virtual Jesus. This week on, on Wednesday, I had to fly to Orlando for a, a meeting. And I was just there. I just decided to go there and back in one day. I was on four planes in one day. That's always interesting. And, and I, I left, got up at 445, got home at 930 that night and went to one meeting uh, and then came back. And so I didn't rent a car. It's what I normally do. I rent a car. But I didn't this time. I just, I just took an Uber uh, uh, back and forth to the airport when I got to Orlando. And when I got my Uber, I called it. And when I called for my Uber, if you've ever used the Uber app, it'll tell you on your phone uh, that, you know, the reviews of who's picking you up. And so I looked at uh, who was picking me uh, up and it was a lady and uh, it said she was real friendly. She loved to talk and everybody was giving her five stars. I thought it was great. And so she pulled up in a Mercedes to pick me up. And when I got in the back seat, uh, I looked and she had in the passenger seat, uh, in the back slip cover on the passenger seat, uh, seat, she had a Bible this thick on the passenger seat. And that was the most worn out Bible I'd ever seen. It was the, I mean, it looked like she was reading that thing every day. It looked like she had listened to a thousand sermons in that Bible. It looked like she had memorized it. I mean, it was, so I got in the car, shut the door, told her where to go. And then I picked that Bible up and I said, Hey, is this yours? She's yes, sir. Yes, sir. I love Jesus. And she started telling me about her church and how much she loved Jesus. And I said, well, I'm a pastor and we just, we just bragged on Jesus for a little while. And I thought I, I got me a Christian here. And so we started talking and, and then she started telling me about her family and her sons don't live in Orlando anymore. They're grown up and they got jobs and uh, other places. And so we started talking about cities we have been to. And, and, and all of a sudden we started talking about a city and she said, oh, I love that city. I love that city. She said, the best downtown parties go on in that city. Wait, now what? And she started describing some not so Christian activities that she participates in at the party. And I wanted to grab that Bible and go, <coughs> you know what she had? She had a virtual Jesus. It's one that was minimal effort and maximum reward. It was one that when I'm done with him and get what I want, I can put him back in the bottle and go, go to my party and live it up any way I want to live with no repercussions. And then when my life gets rough, I'll pull him back out and pray. But until then, no, no, Peter said, no, no, no. If you want to walk close to Jesus, it will take some work. You are going to have to roll up your sleeves and get to work. He tells us the third thing. Number three, he says, plant with purpose. And he goes through this list of things. And I'll look at them with you. And now we're into the reaping and sowing part. And he says, he said, add your faith, virtue, and to that knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. He's talking about planting. Here's what Peter said. I love this. Follow me. He said, here are a list of seeds to sow. Now, here, here are the things that if you want to walk close to God, these are the seeds you're going to have to plant in your life, day by day in your life, over and over again. Here's what he says. I love this phrase. Add to your faith. See, 
Get this, salvation is not the end of the process, it's the beginning of the process. Sometimes we're, we're misinformed and we think, got saved, got fire insurance, taking care of that. And Peter said, no, 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 you, you get your saved, that's the beginning. And now here are the seeds you start sowing in your life every day. And I'll run through them. They all need their own sermon. But number one, he said virtue. That is, in the Bible definition, is moral excellence. Now, here is what Peter was saying. Every day in my life, I just got saved. Every day in my life, I've got to sow moral excellence in my life. What does that mean? That means I need to get rid of the unseemly edges of uh, corners of my life. You know, the way I talk sometimes. The things I participate in. The places I go. Moral excellence. And he said, every day of your life, plant that moral excellence over and over and over again. Then he, he goes on and he said, number two, you plant, plant, a, plant a row, plant a row of virtue. Number two, plant a row of knowledge. Here's what the word, the definition means in, in the Bible. It, knowledge there in the Greek, it is taking the word of God and applying it to everyday living. I love that. Love that. He said, you want to walk close to God? Here's what you have to do every day of your life. You got to dive into your Bible, see what it says, and then apply it to your life. That means when you go over there and read that Proverbs a day, you got to do what the Proverbs says. Look, hey, can I tell you something? Underlining it in your Bible, and I underline my my devotional Bible at home, underlining your Bible means nothing. Unless you take it and put it into practice. When you read how to be a better husband, you got to go be a better husband. When you read how to be a better wife, you got to go be a better wife. When you read how to be a better Christian, how to be a better church member, you got to go do all those things. Peter said, hey, you want to walk with God? Here's what you got to do. Get some virtue in life. Plant a row of virtue. Then you go through and plant a row of knowledge. And then number three, you plant a crop of self-control. Self-control is able to master the body, its desires, and sinful nature. The, hey, look, here, here, this truth is Christians, we all have habits and desires and lust that the enemy could drive a Mack truck through them, man. They're obvious to the enemy. And that's where he's going to bait and trap you every single time. And Peter said, hey, you want to walk with God? Here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to be close to Jesus. You have got to, you've got to work, let the Holy Spirit of God work on those habits and those lusts and those desires. And you know, just plan a row of self-control. You can't let that stuff run amok and not deal with it. And then number four, he said, plant Perseverance. The King James uses the word patience. That's not the best word. The best word is here, perseverance. It means patience, endurance, fortitude. It also means consistency, and I love that definition. That if you want to walk close to God, can I tell you what most people need in their life? They need to plant consistency in their life. You say, well, preacher, I read my Bible today, and it didn't do a thing for me. What what I do tomorrow? Read your Bible again. Yeah, but preacher, I prayed today, and I didn't feel the presence of the Lord. You know what you need to do the next day? is pray. Pray. That is planting that seed of endurance. That is planting that seed of fortitude and consistency in your life. And there is no walking with Jesus haphazardly. Number five, he used the word godliness. Here's what that means, to be so aware of God that you're trying to live the way God would live in your stead. Godliness. Being so aware of God in your life. And here's the truth. Most of us go through day by day with no awareness of God in our life whatsoever. And Peter said, you've got to get up and every day, you've got to be aware of God in your life and plant those seeds of godliness that I'm doing what Jesus would do in my life. And then number six, he talks about brotherly uh, kindness. And that's the word phileo. It's where we get brotherly love. Hey, do me a favor. Don't look at me. Look around the room. Look at the people sitting next to you. All right, turn, turn and look. Look, 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 look. Look at the people sitting next to you. 
Wake the guy up next to you up, all right? Wake him up and tell him to look at you. Hey, turn your head around and look at the people behind you. Not, don't turn around like exorcists turned around. I mean, just like turn around in your seat and, and look around at the person behind you. You see all those people around you? You're supposed to love them. And every day of our lives, you plant those seeds of brotherly love, but then he goes a step farther and then he says, plant the seeds of love. That is selfish and sacrificial love and loving people who don't deserve it, loving people who are unworthy of it, even loving my enemies is what Jesus would say. And when that are, that, those are the seeds I'm planting every day in my life, the crop I yield, I'll show you that in a moment, later on in the days ahead is a crop that is walking close to Jesus. That every day I'm planting virtue and knowledge and godliness and brotherly love. And you get the picture. But instead, most of the time we plant moral fuzziness, gray areas in our lives and we plant inconsistency and we plant anger and we plant all these other things and we sow things that lead us farther and farther and farther away from God. And you'll never feel close to God that way. Peter said, plant this and then plant this and then plant this and then plant this and then plant this. And you say, is there a shortcut? There's not. You just have to get up every day and plant and plant and plant and plant and plant. And then what happens? Here's the fourth thing he shows us what happens. Number four, he says this, if you sow, you'll know. I love this. For if these things are yours and abound. The word abound there in the Greek is the root word of where we get our word plenty from. So he says this, if you sow these things aplenty, you will, need, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. Here, here's what he said. If, you, if you're always sowing these things, here's what's going to happen. You're going to know God in a more intimate way than you've ever known him before. That's what the verse means. If you'll plant these things in your life, if you'll sow these things in your life, you will know God in a more intimate way than you've ever known him before. If you sow these things in your life, you'll know God in a more intimate way than you've ever known him before. Take and close your Bibles with me, if you will. You have everything you need to be close to God. Roll up your sleeves and get to work. Start planning every day, and you'll know God in an intimate way. You've probably never heard of this condition I'm about to talk about. It's called developmental topographical disorientation. Developmental topographical disorientation. It's developmental, I'm going to say it one more time. Developmental topographical disorientation. Now, from now on, I'm going to call it DTD. People with DTD cannot follow simple directions. See, you're thinking about your wife or your husband right now, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Now, I'm not talking about usually one of the two. I'm the, I can be the, uh, my wife can't read a map, but I can't figure out how to get out of the subdivision. Like I, I, I'm, 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 my mind's always somewhere else. And I, I, there are times I, I, I get lost in my own place. Like that's can be me, but that's not what it's talking about. People with developmental topographical disorientation have a severe condition where they cannot remember how to get from one place to another. So they have all these examples. You, you can Google it and read about it online. People who have lived at, worked at the same place for 10 years can't remember how to get back and forth to work. People with DTD can't remember how to, if they walk their dog two blocks down, they can't remember how to get back home. 
if they, uh, if they uh, wake up in the morning in their bedroom in a house they've lived in forever, they can't remember how to get back to the kitchen. One lady said she, she developed it when she was in high school and she'd been fine in high school and after she'd been in high school several years, all of a sudden it hit her one day in a class and she was terrified because she had no idea what was beyond the door of the classroom she was in. Though she had always known, she had no idea. So people with DDT have to live a complex life. They usually have to live close to their work. They have to have directions back and forth. Some of them can't read a map at all, but some can a little bit. And so they have to have directions back and forth to work and home and work and home and work and home. One lady described, she said, when I was a teenager, I couldn't go on a date because I couldn't tell my boyfriend how to get me back home. So they have to have specific directions and they leave, they leave signs for themselves every day. So out in front of their house, some of them put signs that says, they'll say this, Joel's home. Joel lives here. They'll put a sign in the bedroom that says kitchen with an arrow pointing to it. Bathroom with an arrow pointing to it. They'll lay out directions to work and follow landmarks how to get to work. Some of them at their office, if they go to the restroom at their office, they can't find their way back to their desk. And so they have to leave clues along the way. Matter of fact, one guy so messed up, I, I found he... This is the actual drawing, a hand drawing schematic of the house he'd lived in for 15 years. When he was asked to draw it, he drew this and it's very wrong. He lived in this house for 15 years and couldn't do a simple sketch layout of the home. So they leave themselves clues. And I read that about that disorder, and it's fascinating to read about, but here, here's, here's what struck me. Every day they have to leave clues that remind them of what to do next, where to go next. And here, let me just apply it and I'm done. That's a little bit about your walk with Jesus. Every day you've got to leave yourself a clue, plant seeds of virtue, plant seeds of godliness, sow seeds of consistency, sow seeds of love, Sow seeds of knowledge and daily leave yourself signpost of how to have a closer walk with thee. The song, the old song we used to sing in churches years ago, just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus is my plea. Daily, 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 daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord. Let it be. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, our staff is down front. That's the most important decision to make. You can't walk with Jesus till you know him. And so today, if you want to trust Jesus and repent of your sins, it's as simple as ABC. A, admit you're a sinner and can't save yourself. B, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. And C, confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. Our staff would love to help you with that decision. They're standing down front. All you have to do is walk down front, take one by the hand and say, I'd like to become a Christian. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, 
Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.pvine.org. Thanks for listening.